Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, open up to James chapter 1. And we are going to talk a little bit this winter about practical Christianity. Practical Christianity. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, I pray you'd open up our hearts now to just receive and rejoice. And, uh, and God, to just be taught from the word and so that we can be sharpened and uh, just reflect your wisdom upon the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, what's funny is uh, a lot of times when I'll have a pastoral care meeting, if I had a dime for everybody, every time somebody said, I wasn't expecting this to happen. I wasn't expecting to be in the hospital. I wasn't expecting to get very sick. I wasn't expecting to need surgery. I wasn't expecting to lose my job. I wasn't expecting me and my wife to have just such distance between us in our marriage. I wasn't expecting one of our kids to just walk away from God. You know, I wasn't expect. There, there's this time where I wasn't expecting this. And James chapter 1 is really going to go into that for the moment. But the, but the good news this morning is what is unexpected to us is not unexpected to God. God knew it was coming. God already has a solution before we even pray about it. He's already got a solution so that he can turn that trial or he can turn that tribulation into something that will grow us. What may have blindsided us, we got to remember when we go before God, it did not blindside him. He already has a course of action in mind. He already has some answers. He already has some wisdom that he would like to dispense. In fact, if you look in the full orb of Scripture, we can confidently say God would not have allowed the difficulty if he did not already have a solution for it. But it's very human to ask the practical question. Can God still be good? Even when times or things are bad? James chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 2. James says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to a few. Oh, I'm sorry. Who gives generously to all, right? Without finding fault. I was just seeing if you were awake there. Seeing, I know it's the 9 o'clock, so it's January. It's cold outside. I got to throw in some things in there make sure you're, you're awake. You're following me here. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Then skip down to verse 13. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is the one who is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone into evil. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own desires and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers. By the way, he's not just talking about the deception that you get from other people. Probably the greatest deception we will ever face in our lives is self-deception. 
We totally believe that the world is a certain way or that God is a certain way or that life works a certain way and we have deceived ourselves and we find out over the course of time it doesn't. The thing that I love about the Bible is it's been written by men who lived a full life and they look back and they recognize the areas of self-deception and they corrected it with the truth of the Holy Spirit. I'm 40, I've lived a long time, I got a few answers. But my wisdom and knowledge could not top the Bible any day of the week, even if I lived 10,000 years. This is where the good stuff is. And then I love how James finishes this kind of thought. He says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And this is the most important part who does not change like shifting shadows. Who does not change like shifting shadows. We can change like shifting shadows. What is one thing about us that changes a lot like shifting shadows? Our what? Our feelings. Our shadow, yeah. (laughs) Our shadow too. But our feelings, right? Oh, I can feel good one day. I can feel bad the next Those of you who watched the Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game last night, it was all about feelings, wasn't it, you know? It was all about emotions, right? We can get emotional. And here's the thing. Emotions can feel good. But if emotions are not tempered by wisdom, they can definitely produce bad crop in our life. I said crop, okay? I know some of you were wondering about that. I said crop. So, One of the things I often wonder is, you know, when James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials. All right, James, you're the brother of Jesus. This dude is the brother of Jesus. No, not like I'm the brother of Jesus. He's the brother brother of Jesus, right? He is a son of Mary. So he grew up, and you know what he had? A front row ticket to watch how Jesus lived his life. Probably more than any other disciple, he had some incredible answers as to how Jesus did it. So James has some authority to give us insights to how Jesus lived a life full of wisdom, overcoming all the trials and temptations. Because every time he was tempted, he didn't sin. Every time that enemy opposed Jesus, he stood his ground. Every time a critic raised his or her voice, Jesus endured it and came out the winner. So it's a good question. You know, how, uh, how did Jesus do it? How did he know what to do and say without denying his emotions and becoming a Vulcan robot, right? You know, so, you know, there's times that Jesus grieved, times that Jesus wept, and yet no trial ever sunk Jesus you got to go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 40, where it says here, it says this, that uh, it says, And the child, he grew and he became strong. The child Jesus grew and became strong. And here, here's, here's the ticket. Filled with wisdom. And what was upon him? Some of your translations will say Grace. Others will say favor. Others will say, you know, spirit. I mean, there's a whole, whole sermon as to why all those different words get translated. But the point is, 
if we throw in grace, favor, wisdom, who, who are we talking about? How did Jesus do this? Through what? Through the Holy Spirit, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives a life of wisdom. The person and work of the Holy Spirit is the source of wisdom in our lives. And wisdom is meant to go beyond our feelings. And I know, especially we as Americans, we're so into our feelings. We love feeling our feelings. But the problem is, feelings can often go crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. Oh, I'm feeling bad about this. Da 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 da. I got over it. And now it's like, okay, what's coming next? Feelings just kind of ride in the moment. Feelings are never really long thinking. They're often short-term thinking. What do I feel in the moment? Is it bad that I need to feel good? Is it good that I want to stay feeling good, right? Feelings can be very present and temporary. Whereas wisdom is often thinking over the long haul, right? When you see a jelly donut. Are you employing feelings or wisdom? Feelings, right? Oh, heck yeah. Feelings, you know? Right, you, you know that jelly donut has not one nutritional value in it. Don't tell me the fruit is in it. You know, don't, don't even go down that road. I've heard all the excuses. I wrote the book on the excuses for eating donuts. Don't, you know. Wisdom is often looking over the long term and finding out, you know, what is going to be best over a lifetime. And when trials come, you know, when something comes unexpected, here's what I've noticed. In the moment, we can tend to feel more than we think. That is probably why human beings are so inconsistent, why we are so prone to failure. When something bad happens, boom, we, we don't even have to think about it. Feelings just begin to arise, you know. Reactions begin to arise. Anger begins to arise. Fear begins to arise. Withdrawal begins to arise. You know, all these kinds of things begin to rise. And we need to feel what we are feeling, but what James is saying is we also need to think about what God is saying. Because what God is saying, that's the definition of wisdom. That's the definition of wisdom. What is God saying in the moment? The goal of wisdom is to endure a trial through wisdom rather than emotions. And when those seasons come, our feelings can be elevated and escalated, and we can sometimes feel more clearly than we think. What James is getting to here is he's saying when the trials come, employ wisdom. Think about what God has said, and as you begin to overcome trial after trial after trial after trial and persevere, 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 what happens? You become mature, which is fine. I Actually, I could care less about mature. If somebody said, wow, Tom's mature, I'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. But if somebody said, you know, Tom Nackey, he's just a man who lives his life and doesn't lack anything, I'd take that over maturity. Because I know I have moments I can be quite immature. So we'll just throw that word out for the moment. But, I mean, it's a good word. <laughs> but I, I, I love the next part even better. He says, you'll become mature and not lack anything. Did you catch that part when we read it? Doesn't that sound good? Would you like to live a life where you don't lack anything? Does that sound like a good proposal for life? Does that sound like a good practical thing? 
Amen. Let's take it. All right. Let's now go. You're in a trial. You had an unexpected thing come. And all your feelings start getting riled up. And you know what our feelings often do? We begin to what? We accuse God. Right? What James is trying to... There's a few things I want to give you this morning that James is not saying about trials or feelings or God. Okay? What God is not saying during a trial is this. We can often think this, but God is not saying, I am punishing you. Now, when things are starting going wrong, we can think, I must have done something wrong. Man, I must have, did I put my tithe check in? What's going on? And we begin to think, you know, I must have done something wrong. Now, look, God is not punishing us. God is not punishing you. If you think that, then you don't understand Christianity at all. You need to set up a meeting with me and let me tell you the truth. All of the punishment that God had for humanity, he put on his son. It would be irrelevant for him to turn around and put it on you. God is not punishing you. Number two, we can think God is saying, I have left you. God is not saying, I have left you. In Matthew 28, he actually said, I will never leave you. But our feelings can begin to say, oh, God just seems a million miles away. And what James is saying is somewhere in your heart, you got to go, that's a lie. That's a lie. God is as close now in the, in the bad times as he felt in the good. Number three, we can think God is saying, I am letting you down. I am failing you. I'm letting you down. You know what? My power isn't endless. And it only goes so far. And I, I'm sorry, Tom, but I'd let you down. Again, it's another feeling and it's another life. You look at the Bible, the Bible speaks of God's love as being unconditional. <laughs> That's good too, but failing is better, right? God's love is unfailing. His love, your love never fails us is one of the songs we sing. Another thing we can think is that, well, man, maybe this is God. Maybe he's trying to get me. We can, say, uh, we can think God is saying, I intend this evil toward you. I mean, because after all, you know, he's got the whole world in the palm of his hand and everything is under God's control. And so since everything's under God's control and this is happening to me, then God must mean it for evil. It's another feeling. It's another lie. It's another notion that the Bible uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't carry at all. But I will say this, and I said this last year. There's a difference between trials and tragedies. When a tragedy happens, you, you, you get cancer. A, a child gets hit by a car and dies. That's not a trial that God is saying, okay, we're going to make you a better person out of that one. No. That's a tragedy that, that God grieves with, right? When Lazarus died, what was Jesus' response well, Mary and Martha, let's sit down now and talk about the life lessons that are going to come from your brother's death. No. He grabbed their hands and he wept with them. Now, I mean, he also raised them from the dead, which is a nice little perk. But he wept with them. He wept with them. Another thing we can uh, think is that God is saying, I will answer every question. God is not saying, I will answer every question. The Bible says that we live by faith, not by sight, right? Paul says, right now, we see 
as in a, as in a mirror darkly, we see in part. But then, what's then? After we die and go to heaven, we shall know even as we are fully known. There's not every question is answered this side of heaven. And then last but not least, we can think that God is up there saying, I'm going to make it all better. Many of you have lived long enough to know that just doesn't happen that way. Uh, God doesn't promise that things can change. God promises that you can change. And that's the amazing part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Too many people give God about a six-month chance to make their lives better. And then if he doesn't, they go somewhere else. About six months. Okay, God, you got six months. And if by the end of six months, my life isn't significantly better, then I'm just going to conclude that life with you doesn't work, and I'll go on looking for the next thing. And I can't tell you how unbiblical and narcissistic that is. But I hear that over and over and over and over. If you want real Christianity with real hope and purpose, then we have to trade in our greeting card, Jesus. And we have to pick up our spirit-filled Jesus and live life uh, ready to accept the trials that come rather than run from them or get mad at them or leave God over them. Now, what is being said? What is James saying? If those, if those are what he's not saying, what is James saying? Well, he's saying two things. You will have trials, and the trials will be an opportunity to grow. So often, when we are on the verge of our greatest victory, those are when the unexpected things can happen. I remember uh, when I was coming down to Bakersfield. Everything was great. I was excited, getting all these prophetic words from people and you know, it, it, was, it was just a, a wonderful time, and me and Jerry were up. We were talking every day. Our relationship was going well. Uh, you know, I kept feeling like, man, if the church is like him, I'm going to be a good fit. He kept saying the same thing. Little did I know. But anyway, you know, <laughs> you know it, it was just wonderful. And then I had a meeting with someone, and they deposited fear, discouragement, doubt sent me into a tailspin spiraling downward and the gist of the meeting was we don't even think we don't even know if you're called to be a pastor at that point i'd already been a full-time one for 12 years i'm thinking to myself if you thought that you should have said it 12 years ago why lie to me straddle me along for 12 years and then drop this bomb well, you know, because then you were bouncing around Washington, you were close. Now you're moving out of state. You're going to California. We may never see you again. We just want to be honest. <laughs> we wanted to love you. I said, well, thank you. I don't know if I appreciate your kind of love, you know, <laughs> to lie to me for 12 years. And, and so I found I came home. I, I prayed with my wife. I tell you, you know, my wife, you, you know, I think I could be scary. I think I could win a few fights. I would never tangle with my wife. When that woman gets in loyal defend my husband mode, Dennis, even you, just clear out of her way. Just clear out of her way. You know, I, you know, I start to, she just, oh, but she's praying this stuff off of me. She's like, I just, that, that, that. she's buying this stuff, you know. And, but, but, but on the verge of one of the greatest 
happy transitions in my life. And what does the enemy do? Puts in some discouragement, right? Jesus, uh, there's, uh, oh, that's right. I remember another time, a guy had a heart attack. He was 48 years old. He had a heart attack. Now, he was like Mr. Fit, you know? jogged seven miles a day, never had a slice of pizza, never had a glass of alcohol, you know. I mean, the guy was just, and I remember, you know, I went in there, and he's like, and I was one of the pastors on call. He said, I don't know how I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. I, you got to help me with this, Pastor, because, you know, I, I eat healthy. You know, I, I, I work hard. I do everything that my wife tells me to do. And, you know, and I said to him, well, that's why you're in the hospital. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I mean, I, he said, I'm a good boy. I don't know why I'm here. He's struggling with God. I finally looked at him and I said, Mike, I love you, but you are a stressful person. You are a stressful person. One little thing's out of place. You got to go and fix it. You know what? You wake up stressed. You go to bed stressed. I'd be surprised you live another 10 years living as stressed as you do. And he looked at me like, whoa. That was like, that was like a miracle for him to hear. I said, you, your whole aura around you is so stressful that I think people avoid you. Really? Yes. That's why they put the piano 20 feet off the stage. That's not why they did it, but it sounded good at the time, didn't it? You know, that would be, that would be a great little, you know. <laughs> so he, he got out of the hospital, and, and, and I remember him saying, oh, man, I'm thankful. That trial showed me about something about myself. I looked great. I acted great. I obeyed well. But I had another side of my life that was killing me. I was stressing myself out over this idol of perfection. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 13 about a farmer who went out and planted a crop. When the farmer went to bed that night, an enemy farmer came and sowed weeds among the crop. The next day, or next month, whatever, they wake up and the servants go to him and say, you know, there's a whole bunch of weeds among the wheat. Uh, you know, do you want us to go and pluck them up? And the farmer says, no, I don't want you to do that because you might pluck up some of the wheat with the weeds. He says, we will wait, and then at the end, we'll sort it all out. You see, that's exactly what happens a lot of times when trials come. We're planting wheat, and all of a sudden, the enemy comes in and wants to sow weeds in our life. Uh, weeds that, 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 that when we begin to deal with them, we could harm the wheat as well. It's all going to get sorted out. But sometimes you got to say, you know what, this thing that I'm going through, it's just a weed. At the end, God's going to sort it all out. This thing, I guess, trial I'm going through, it's just a weed. Come on, say it right now. It's just a weed. Oh, say it like you mean it. It's just a weed. I was driving. And I was thinking of this, and I was preparing my sermon, and some dude on Hagman and Coffee, as I'm leaving the church, he starts yelling at me because I cruise over to get in the left turn lane. He's da 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 da. I rolled my window down. I said, You're just a weed. <laughs> he looked back at me. He said, I ain't smoking weed. I said, I didn't say you were smoking weed. I said, You are a weed. He, he just gave me this look like, What? You know? <coughs> I went home to my kids last night. One of them was fight with me. I said, you're just a weed, you know. Sometimes we got to call it like it is. You lost your job. It's just a weed. You got a bad medical report. It's just a weed. Let it grow up with the wheat. 
And at the end, God will sort it all out. That's his promise. God will sort it all out. Amen? Amen. Got some weeds in this church, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> one, of my, one of the people I listed, yeah, some, somebody just looked at your spouse and said, <laughs> um, what, one of my early guys I love to listen to on tape was uh, not, not Joel Osteen, but his father. Anybody remember his father? Was a really good radio ministry and TV ministry. And it's not, I mean, I, I listen to Joel too sometimes, but, uh, I, I, you know, John was a, a, a more swimming in my same river. And he said something once on one of his tapes I never forget. He said, trouble is inevitable. But misery is optional. Trouble is inevitable. But misery is optional. Trouble will come. But we'll choose to be miserable in it. Or we can choose to trust God in it and employ wisdom, which means thinking and acting based on what God said, over feelings. Our emotional perceptions about trial. I can't. I can't. Trouble is in that, yeah, right there. I should have I cited it, but that's why I said it. That was John Osteen, 1985 or something like that. Uh, so last, my last point, what to do in a trial. What to do in a trial. First, understand the difference between a trial and a tragedy. When a tragedy happens, God's grieving with us. You, you get cancer, lose a kid. I mean, th there are some things in life. It's not a trial, it's a tragedy. And God's right there with you saying, man, I, you know, I'm going to stand with you through this. I'm going to see you through this. Uh, why does he not prevent every tragedy? I don't know. But I do trust him to have a good enough reason that to some degree, the spinning of earth plays itself out the way it's supposed to. The next thing is don't compare trials. This is my own little thing. I meet with a lot of people and a lot of people compare trials. Well, my sister, she's got it so good. All my parents, you know, or all my friend, my boss, you know, we began to compare trials. Let me tell you right now, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. If he can get you focused on comparing trials, you're never going to sit down and have the wisdom to know how to get through your own. You'll just always be looking over the fence at how that trial would seem a lot better. I'll tell you this right now. If I know anything about God, I wouldn't want your trials. Because they're not for me. They're for you. And God's, gonna, God's already got the solution to grow you through it. And let me tell you this. You would not want mine. I know what some of you think. He only works one day a week. I'd, I'd like to have that trial. I think I could do that. You would not want to have my trials, all right? Uh, I may preach once a week, but don't think that the enemy ain't on my back all other seven, six, whatever. You know, so, so you know, comparing trials, let that be a New Year's resolution. This year, I will not compare my crud to other people's crud, all right? I will just accept that if this is the crud that God has given me. This is the weird soup he's going to use to grow me so that I will not lack anything. Third, ask God for wisdom. People schedule meetings with me, 
they'll talk for about 10 minutes about something that's gone wrong. And my first question is always this. Well, have you prayed about it? And I hate to say it. Nine times out of 10. Well, not specifically. But James said, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God. And he'll give it to just a few of you. No, no, to all, right? To all. And then you receive it, don't doubt it, because then you're going to be on that little wave. You don't want to be on that wave. That's a very horrible, confusing, miserable way to live. Fourth thing, develop staying power. I had a good buddy of mine. I thought our friendship was over three years ago because I told him, I said, your problem is you don't stay with anything. You don't stay in a relationship. You don't stay at a job. You don't stay at a church. Anytime the going gets rough, you get going. And I said, you know, I'm sorry. Part of why you're going through what you're going through is because you got no staying power to endure or to last. And recently we reconnected on Facebook. And he had mentioned that my pointing that out was one of the most helpful things anybody had ever said that before. And I wasn't even thinking of the Bible at the time. I was just looking at his life thinking, how are you ever going to do anything if you're not there long enough to do it? Developing staying power. That's what James is saying. Trials will come and go. But part of the man or woman who becomes an overcomer in their faith is the one that stands and cannot be moved unless God is the person moving them. And then finally, prepare for the next one. Prepare for the next one. Jesus says in John 8, in this world you will have trials. You will have trouble. You will have things come your way. Prepare now for them. If you don't, you're probably destined to get mad at God a lot in life. You won't be prepared for what's coming. You'll get destined to get angry at him a lot, get emotional a lot, and do stupid things emotionally. Rather than doing what Jesus did in Luke chapter 2, he grew and he was filled with wisdom. Emotions, they go off reactionary feelings that rise and fall like a wave. Wisdom is stable and steady based on what God has said and the promises of his word. Which one do you think is going to be better for your life long? This or that? Everybody right now just go like that. One more time. Yeah. Next time someone yells at me at Coffee and Hagman, I'm going to turn, I'm going to look at them, I'm going to go. <laughs> Amen. The, probably the best preparation that anybody can have for the trials of life is being a follower of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you can have your moments where you don't get mad at God. Or that, that's a relationship. It means it's real. And I have those too. But the seeking of wisdom is accessible when Jesus Christ is Lord and the Lord of your life. If you want to go through it alone, 
hoping your own wisdom and power and strength will see you through every trial. They may have seen you through some good ones so far, but every trial. I'm talking deathbed trials. Well, I, that's, that's the free will choice you have to make. But my encouragement to you this morning is give up the ghost. Give up the, 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 the self-reliance and come in to an honest, fruitful, and joyful relationship in Christ. So if you'd bow your heads with me and close your eyes, I'd like to make a very simple invitation, whether for the first time or you just want to say, you know what, I need to recommit and rededicate for 2016. To be filled with wisdom. To live based on what God has said rather than the ups and downs and flips and flops of my feelings. I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. Whether for the first time or to recommit for 2016, if that's your intention, would you please look up at me right now? Amen. 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 Come on. Come on. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand? And if you would, kind of keep your eyes closed for a moment. You may have to open them to stand up, but keep them closed. And Why don't we say this together? Say, Lord Jesus, prepare me for what's coming. Forgive me of my sin. Restrain my emotions. Help me find wisdom as I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.